Hey everybody, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We are stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians that are currently jobless because of the coronavirus. We're finally going to be the doctors our mothers wanted us to be. Is there anything that we don't know? A lot, actually. We have a lot of questions. Uh, we have a lot of answers. All of them wrong. But we do have access to... Google. And a vet. Oh yeah, my mom's a vet. She knows some stuff. We have to do this So again. every once in a while, we're going to invite her on. No, we don't. We're going to actually use this. <laughs> Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. Non Hi. Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. California stole all my money. Oh, uh, dude. Okay. I've been watching a lot of like these old school movies, like where like it's talking about something that happened in the sixties or whatever. And some like lawyer, like I watched a movie about a lawyer from like the eighties. That was like some murder trial. And then I watched this other fucking thing that, um, Aaron Sorkin did. It's on Netflix about like these protesters in the sixties. And, but like, you told me like California took your money. And I was like, I know what to do. I like all of a sudden had this like filter, like the seventies filter. I was like ready to sue people. I was going to like take a lot of notes. <laughs> We're going to make a movie about it. It was going to be like Shahada against, you know, Shahada versus uh, California. Like I had like a whole script in my mind where we're like, we're going to get your money back. Mrs. Shahada. Yeah, that was like my first thing. I was like, well, I'm going to sue you. You can't just take my money. They froze my funds. Like I was some big corporation that was funding slave trade or something. Like I was just like, woke up to nothing in my account. Oh, I had spent a little bit of money on a pair of sunglasses with my U.S. bank account card. <laughs> okay. okay. I thought no Chase no was just like, hold up someone's taking your account and yeah. like holding my money. And then I call them. And so finally I got through and they were like, no, California took your money. And I was like, sorry. And they were like, yeah, you owe them 4,000 something, something, something in taxes. And they, they, they have your money. And I was like, uh, what? Yeah. I haven't lived in California since 2016. So, you know, I mean, besides all the like emotional shit, then there's the admin of like trying to get a hold of somebody and like people, you know, and I finally get a hold of some guy and he's like, calm down. And I was like, you fucking calm down. You have my money. You like, just took all my money and you want me to calm down? Eat a dick. Like, yeah. That is so unhelpful. He was like, do you have like a small business license? And I was like, no. It's like, I'm a useless comedian. He was like, like a salon or um, do you have like a, a, like a food truck? I don't forget what he said, but I, I was like, like no. That he thinks that like one night you had a genius idea to have a salon food truck and you yeah. forgot that you started an LLC. Do you know how hard it is and exhausting it is to start a fucking business and have an LLC or any kind of fucking U Corp or whatever the fuck these things are? Like nobody forgets they did that. I, and he was like, well, give me your license number. I was like, I have no license, sir. He just can't understand that. And I was like- You can't understand I, that the government fucked up? You can't understand that, sir? Right. I opened a business account once with Kat because we were working on a web, our web series. And so we were sharing funds for that. But like, that's not a business license. Anywho, yeah. California, if you don't file your taxes for the state, which I didn't, because I didn't earn in California for the past like four or five years, and you have a small business license, they just make up what you earned. They just decided I earned 64,000 something something dollars in 2017. And then just have been sending me letters to an old address, even though they have my current address for, for I don't know how many years. And then just was like, fuck it. Like, what, what she got in the bank? We'll take that. Just give me that. <laughs> mafia shit, man. Yeah. And I think everybody kind of went through this with unemployment because, you know, every, everybody went on unemployment and it's like the system is from like 1974 and they're telling you to fax stuff. And like, it's just a horrible, but it's like the same kind of thing where you're like, hey, man. I have a phone number. I have an email address. There's yes. so many things that are that are more traceable than a fucking address where people move all the time. I have a time. Twitter, an Instagram, a podcast. I we're saying our email address on this all the time. You can find me. I'm so fucking findable that you sent a couple of letters to an address I clearly don't live at. And like, you're just like, you want to be like, I know people that have tried less and got in contact with me. That's on you, man. You could have just guessed what my email was and fucking found it. Like, right, right. And so I eventually, I got it back in parts, but they charged me $75 for all the processing. For the fun enjoyment <laughs> of that process. They're like, here's a 75 stress you out for a week fee. Yeah. Yeah. For the pleasure. So thank you, <laughs> California for that. <laughs> um, oh, dude. Yeah, man. When it's a state, when it's governmental, you're like, I have no power. I have yeah. no way to 
fight this, but I got it back. That's horrific. My bank account got hacked, uh, and I now have I have a joke on my special about it, and I have a new joke about passwords on what is going to be my new hour. Just from you know an afternoon of stress, and then clearly it took about three weeks for me to get my money back. But like it, uh, the bank was responsible for it because they should have fucking been. Your I literally like my whole joke is like so your whole job is to watch my money and you just let somebody take all of it like yeah. your yeah. whole job. <laughs> I can do a shitty job watching my yeah. own money. Like I lose I lose twenties out of my pocket all the time and I go that's why you should put it in the bank and then the bank's like sorry you lost a bunch of thousand dollars you know what I mean like that's like, that's like remember I had that joke about like um can you watch my laptop and then they come back from the bathroom and it's just like their laptop's gone and it's just like I thought you were watching my laptop there was a whole part to it where I get held yeah. up and I'm just like yeah. I did it went out the door and to the left yeah and that is what Chase did they're like oh we watched it we watched yeah. California take it from yeah. you. I just feel like 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 Chase got an alert. They're like, "Oh, California took all this girl's money." We'll be hearing from her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. I called um, when their computers were back up, and they did pick up like almost like we were expecting you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to like, fax. We actually sent you some tears and tissues for that the, whole experience. The it was like the day after the podcast where I said like I had to send a fax once and it ruined my day. They I had to fax him my 2017 federal income tax return and um I don't have a fucking fax machine but you can do it online so you know you sign up for the thing online and then they have your credit card because they're going to charge you monthly unless you cancel and it's like cancel anytime but it's one of those websites where there's no way to cancel on the website you actually have to go through and call somebody or email anyway that was a whole mess but like so I tried to fax and nothing happened so I did it again nothing happened. I didn't get a confirmation. There was no email. So then I went to HelloFax and I did it again. And at least that one had like a wheel saying faxing. And then the next thing I know, like a couple hours later, I get one confirmation, two confirmations, <laughs> three confirmations. I've faxed this guy my income taxes like four times. It was, it was a strong message of fucking do your job. Like, yeah. you want my income taxes? Here's my fucking income taxes. So I just transferred all my money to my UK bank account, which like lost me a lot of dollars just in the exchange, the foreign exchange. Oh. But I just want it here with me. Yeah, <laughs> I almost no. want it in cash, just like in my hand, like fuck off my money. I mean, this is, this is why, like, you know, there's a fire and somebody's like, hold on, I got to get my bank account. And you're like, why isn't it not in a fucking bank? And you're just like, you know, the government, like, like, <laughs> this is, like, this is what sparked, like you being like 70 and being like, grandma, what are you doing? And you'll be like, well, once in fucking 2021, somebody took all my money and that's never going to happen again. So that's what you got to remember, kids. You can't trust anybody. And she's like <laughs> slitting the mattress and taking out hundreds of dollars. But it get into a wheelbarrow. <laughs> And you're like, grandma, this is inefficient. Um, I remember when the UK switched to plastic money. Mm-hmm. Remember, it was like color paper. And, it's pla- and then there was all these articles about people that had kept their money near a radiator and melted their money. Yeah. And I was like, what? But now I understand, like, I always have like a little bit of cash on me. I try not to have it very long, but like, actually, we're getting paid less in cash um, than we used to. Like, you used to get spot pay. And you just have a bunch of cash and it was always freaked me out. So we were like strippers. We'd go to the bank, like, like with dollars, but it does. Like I have, I remember being a waitress and they would always tell you like, don't have cash on you or make sure you change out of your waitressing clothes. Cause people could like rob you and stuff like that. Like all this stuff. And I've always kept that to heart. I'm a tiny person. I have cash on me. So in between spots, I'd go to a bank and I would put my cash out or I would have it and I'd make sure it was out of my wallet. But now we get paid Venmo. Almost every single club now pays in Venmo. It's a little annoying. Yeah. It's it's slightly annoying because like, I've, you know, it's been what, 15 years or so of you before you even go on stage. Sometimes they're handing you cash and you have it. And now you have to be like, okay, I did three spots. I got one Venmo from New York comedy club. I'm waiting on a Venmo from Stand Up New York. Like Stand Up New York hasn't paid me in three weeks. Like they're the worst at it. So like, I have a little thing and it's just 25 bucks, but you're just like, I'm fuck you. That adds up. I'm not forgetting about this. Yeah. Now I have to physically keep a tally and I have to be like like I have a whole system of tracking my money where before you would just you would be handed cash you would never go anyway what I'm trying to say is that nobody set my house on fire I have have some cash (laughs) wait wait to ask people to rob you uh yeah (laughs) we're we're truly talking about a hundred dollars no everybody knows we don't get paid anything uh announcements yeah 
Thanks to all our Patreons. Thanks to everybody uh, that supports us. Uh, we hope you're enjoying our weekly episodes. We've been getting really into them. And then we also have month uh, monthly. We just put out our May monthly. You can get stickers. You can get a signed book. Get free downloads of our stand-up. There's tons of bonuses. You can be a Google guest. So much. So, so much for so little. So uh, thank you to everybody that supports us. And if you want to, um, it's patreon.com slash yeah, and follow us on the socials on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. It's Two Non Doctors, the number two full word doctors. On Instagram, it's Two Non DRS. Uh, if you have a moment and can leave us a nice little review, we would love that. It helps us get seen, helps us. We just we feel good. We share it on our Instagrams. We love it. And uh, thanks to everyone who's written kind words and rated us uh, five stars. That's been great. And um, yeah. And then uh, I'm touring. So I just added a bunch of dates. So I'm going to throw them at you. Um, Brooklyn is June 5th. There's like four tickets left. And I don't know if I'm adding a second show or not, or if New York is expanding their capacity because it's only at 33% capacity. But Brooklyn, there's four tickets left. Uh, Arlington, Cleveland, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston. I am going to Austin. Everybody, when they hear my Texas dates, is like, oh, way to just skip Austin. I am. I just can't announce it. You'll find out why later. Kansas, St. Louis. And I'm still adding dates. They're all kind of middle summer. And then randomly, they just start in the fall. I have no control over this. But yeah, website. Go see me. Yeah. Go see me live. I just did the admin of putting some dates on my website. I will say this. If I say your city, uh, just double check the time. I usually get the city and the date right. The times I kind of make up. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to be hopefully in Arlington with Liz. I'm going to be, what is that? June? Uh, no, it's July 9th and 10th. Yeah, I have a few London dates I'm putting up. Um, I'm going to be in Cardiff, Glasgow, Birmingham, Nottingham, and Oxford this year, like later, a little bit later, August, September, October. Look yeah. How fun are we? Look at yeah. our dates. You're like Glasgow. I'm like Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are equally awesome. Fan mail? Fan mail. Uh, genuinely appreciate this. So, you know, we had our vaccine episode come out. We talked about a bunch of vaccines, but clearly the clip that we put up was about the HPV vaccine. So um, Jan on Instagram wrote about the HPV vaccine. The research group for this vaccine were under the age of 26 since they had to be sexually inactive. That's why the cutoff is 27, 26 to receive this vaccine. Love the podcast. So basically we were joking about like, why is the cutoff 27? And we couldn't find anything. And so that kind of makes sense. And basically what I said to her, I was like, oh, is that the reason like currently right now, the COVID vaccine is cut off at, I think, 16 years old because they haven't up until pretty recently, they haven't done any testing on teenager, young teenagers and kids. And she goes, exactly. If they haven't done enough research on it, they have no idea how it's going to react in these different bodies. So they, they can't in good conscience release it for that age group. Although we are kind of seeing like right when uh, the COVID vaccine came out, uh, a bunch of people had um, anaphylactic shock. There was a bunch of people that had allergic reactions. And then you find out they're like, oh, we didn't have any test subjects that had that. And you're like, hey man, like, like, and, and that's why, that's why when you get the COVID shot, you have to sit for 15 minutes because it would happen within that 15 minutes that something like that would happen. Then they also would like anybody else that is somebody that has an EpiPen or has anything like that, make sure you bring it, make sure you're okay. Make sure you tell people and that's why all these like questionnaires are out there. But for the most part, they try to test it on a variety of subjects. And if they don't, then they have to either not say they, these people can't have it because we don't know how it's going to react to you, or there needs to be some kind of caveat. But what I find interesting is like COVID has had all the money and the attention and the blah, blah, blah. So now they're, you know, clearly testing it on kids and it's going to be released for kids and blah, blah, blah. But like the HPV vaccine, you know, they got probably some budget. They're like, we'll just concentrate on this age range. And who knows when they're going to start, you know, let's, let's see if 50 year olds enjoy an HPV vaccine or is it yeah. too late or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we learned something, guys. Look at yeah, us. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Googles. Googles. We have a Google guest. He's host of the Unpopular Opinion podcast and uh, on the Unpops Network, which Two Non Doctors is a part of. It's Adam Todd Brown. Hey, thank you for having me. What did you Google? I had to Google how to treat a boil at home. Uh, I have very sensitive armpits. Like for my entire life, I've been able to use like one or two different deodorants without my armpits breaking out. And one of them I've always been able to use is Old Spice. And my preferred Old Spice house was Wolfthorn. And I went uh, 
to the store to buy that one day and they were out. So I bought, I think it was called Bear Claw. Men's deodorant names are so funny. Yeah. They're always like pissing a stream. I just switched like lateral move, wolf thorn to to bear glove. I figured it would be fine. (laughs) And I used it one time. And the next morning I had boils under both of my arms. Oh my God. Like it wasn't just a breakout. They were these painful. Did you check the ingredients list of the two kinds? The only difference was this one was a slightly different shade of blue. Old Spice has been sued recently because their deodorants, Bear Glove being one of them, have been giving people chemical burns. And the thing that's holding the lawsuit up right now is they're trying to decide if the amount of people getting injured is acceptable it's almost like companies kind of like weigh it out and go is it going to be more expensive for us to fix it than to get sued yeah that's what's happening right now with that peloton treadmill that's eating oh yeah put that flap that's at the back of lawnmowers on that peloton thing the one that keeps rocks from destroying your shins (laughs) other way did i ever tell you i tried waxing my armpits on my own so these kits adam are like it's like pretty much like a very sticky sticker and you're supposed to like warm it up with your hands and then you put it and then you rip it i was the worst thing i've ever done to myself i was like this and of course <laughs> of course when you take these experiments it's like three days before a date or something so you're just like sure. cool i'm just gonna be like this but people are like how's it going and i'm just like just i'm i just like to be very enthusiastic and have my arms up at all times <laughs> it was it was the most painful you week. never know what the cops these days yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I get up one morning and I try to pop the biggest one. Because that's who you and, go to first. So all the little ones know. Right. <laughs> Send a message. <laughs> I squeezed it so hard. I felt it pop, but it popped under my skin. For the rest of the day, I had a fever and I had the shivers and what? I was like knocked out. So now I'm like, well, this is an emergency probably. And that's when I Google how to treat a boil at home. It turns out you fix it the same way you fix anything at home which is with Vicks VapoRub. It's like putting a hot compress on it, but one that doesn't stop getting hot. So Mm. it just draws that core out. And it finally did to the point that I could pop it. And I was like, cool, crisis averted. And no, first it got infected. You ever had a maple donut? That glaze that's on top of maple oh, don't donut. Ru- don't you ruin donuts? Never, right no, yeah, not anymore. It, yeah. <laughs> it looked like that. Okay. I, this I is, like donuts. This I ate one in the middle of all this. I ate a maple <laughs> Boston cream donut. I had tandoori chicken after seeing the bodies ex- exhibition. <laughs> it gets infected, and I have to like let that drain for a few days. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now it's over. It, it there was still a bump, but it felt like just swelling, and it was not swelling. At one point, I went to the bathroom and squeezed on it, and now there was like pink stuff coming out. But then by that point, the infection was so far into my body that I would like press down on my chest and blood would shoot out. So I still went to the doctor. Uh, He said I had folliculitis. It's just inflamed hair follicles. I just want to know like one last thing, which is when, what did you switch to? Bead stick musk. It smells great. I smell like uh, cigarette smoke in a doctor's office now. <laughs> have you thought about not even like the more natural ones, but just something that doesn't have a scent? If you're having that reaction to something, just something that's just unscented, because all these like fragrances are like half the reason that women specifically have so many issues. Problem is, I like to smell pretty. Right. Yeah, no, Liz, you're so not fun sometimes. Like, I swear yeah. to God. <laughs> I'm not like I'm not gonna start wearing Axe body spray or anything like that. No, I gotta but what I'm saying and is Musk is a very unique scent among my age demographic. I, I understand. What I'm saying is this is this is no scent. This is just keeping bad scents away. But then, you know, you have a, a cologne or something that you spray on your shirt that gives you like a smell. I'm not going to start being a cologne guy at age 45. Your alternative is having weird armpit issues. It's it's it only happened the once. It seems to have found the right kind of deodorant. Listen, I think because your support is more important than how to mm-hmm. fix it. Mm-hmm. You're, just gonna worried, make me, you're just gonna make me want to use that deodorant more if you keep this <laughs> right. up. thank you for having me i appreciate it see you yeah. soon i'm sure i've googled this before but it's been annoying me more and i needed like a refresher but okay. why why do healed pimples leave a scar Ooh. and by that and by that i mean like i didn't pop it i didn't fuck with it like i understand if i fuck with it and it bleeds or like something happens and blah 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 
But like, what about when there's like a pimple, it goes through its pimple life. You know what I mean? Three, you know, three to five days of ruining my face and then it disappears. And then like, you can't really see it. One, this is like horrible um, resolution, but I have like under my chin and luckily it's under there. It's not a big deal. But like, I had this pimple that just like terrorized my life for two weeks. That one kind of got fucked with. I kind of understand it. But this one under here, I did everything I was supposed to do. I let it live its life. Like, you know what I mean? And it's <laughs> yeah. this fucking like brown scar. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, it just made me so angry. Well, well yeah. <clears throat> so you, you're talking about discoloration. And then I've had pimples that like left like dense. I, I, so... It's in my research. All right, let's hear it. It's in my research. All right. Uh, it's in my research paper <laughs> about pimple scars. Um, so... Acne is a lesion. Uh, acne lesion is like technically a wound. So it's the same way that like if you get a cut or whatever, um, when the damage caused by acne is severe, the body can um, respond by creating too much tissue or too less tissue. So the production of too much tissue forms a calloid, calloid or hypertonic scar. And that's when it's uh, a raised scar. So that would be, you can't really see it, but that would be like the kind of brown spot. That would be like when the scar is like bigger than the skin. You know what I mean? Um, and then if it's too little tissue, it leads to depression in the skin or atrophic, atrophic scar, which is indented. And often, and so they, basically the atrophic scar is often a result of severe acne or chickenpox, which is interesting. Again, you can't see it, but I have two really like dented scars. I have like one here and like one in my forehead and those are chickenpox scars, which like that was always the thing when kids got chickenpox is that you had to be like really good about making sure they don't pick at them and, and treating them well because otherwise so I only have two that I clearly like scratched at and messed with but what I what I probably should have done more research on is why is it that my body is producing too much tissue and that's why I have these raised scars and why when you had acne your body was producing too less tissue and that's why you had the depression in the skin or the indented scar mm. do you know what I mean it does make a little bit of sense yeah but I don't know I mean I don't know why but and, it, and, and what constitutes severe acne? You know what I mean? Like, so one of the things I've noticed um, is that I tend to get acne in the same place. And like, when I say the same place, I mean like, like on top of itself. So like this will heal and then I'll get a pimple again right there. Of course, touching. Is I used to get a pimple like here um, between, like by my eyebrow. And then some, once I got a pimple on top of that pimple. So it was like two pimples. I was like, yeah. fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> What are, you do- what are we doing here? But Just like, that's when I French fries all over my forehead. What am I doing? <laughs> but I started seeing that esthetician a couple of years ago and she did like this deep cleaning and she like pushed things out. It was one of the most painful processes and expensive, but it always, my skin always looked better. And I stopped having acne on top of itself. So definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen her in a year and a half, but I saw her three times in a year and it changed my skin to the, and it just gave it time to heal because it really was like, as soon as a pimple was healing, another one would form on top of it. So then you'd have these super scars. And then it really was like, you know, half the makeup I have is to color up redness. I was like, yeah, but this is like a brown, ugly thing that like, it doesn't feel like anything can cover it up. But I mean, I feel like I learned something from this, but I don't actually know how to prevent it. And also, again, don't understand why, why with chicken pox, it's, too less scar tissue, like they can't keep up or something. And why with my acne, it's clearly too much tissue is being produced. Well, I know you hate it when I say this, but if you meditated, I think that your body would learn to produce the right amount of tissue. Fuck you. Google. <laughs> I can't hand you, handle you today. <laughs> um, my Google is, why do I have a bump on my eyeball? So On your eyeball? Yeah, yeah. So yesterday morning I woke up with like irritation and I remember telling Johnny, I was like, I, I'm getting a sty. I was like, I know I feel, I feel the way it feels when I get a sty. And when I get a sty, it's under my eyelid and it looks like a little pimple with a little white head in the middle and it'll get gradually get bigger and like swell up the eye and then go away. I've only had a sty maybe like two, three times in my life, but I know what they feel like. It's just a yeah. pimple on the eyelid, but I have a call back on Friday and I don't have time for that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, God, no. So I was like, I'm going to put a warm compress on it. And I go to the bathroom and I look, it's not on my eyelid. I have like, what looks like a little, like is like red on my eyeball with a little bump in the middle. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
So I call the doctor and the you know, there's always the gatekeepers. I'm like, let me talk to the doctor. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Fuck you and your nursing degree. I want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I need to know what the problem is. And I was like, I have a bump on my eyeball. So she was like, um, she was like, you have a bump on your eyelid. And I was like, I have a bump on my eyeball. And she was like, on your eyeball? Like, I don't yeah, think she trusted. that's why I don't want to talk to you. That's why I want to talk to somebody that knows about eyeballs. Exactly. I don't think she stressed it that much, but that's how it felt. It was like, could you just kind of keep your surprise to yourself and just say, <laughs> you, and this is what you need to think anytime anyone says anything to you at all is I've heard this before a million times. And then that's the tone you give me back. Okay, great. You can, you be free at four o'clock at this time. And the doctor calls you back, doctor call me back tried to explain it. And she said, take a picture. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to her and she goes, um, yeah, that looks like a ping, 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 kula. I forgot how she pronounced it. It's like scar tissue on your, on your eyeball. It forms. It's like the thickening of the conjunctiva, the thin protective layer. And I was like, I was like, is this going to go away on its own? Or do I need to like, like get it, like have surgery? And she was like, um, you're going to have to go to the eye, go to the eye doctor. Or she told me to go to the eye hospital. And she was like, just walk in and tell them, you know, you have this thing. And then they'll, they'll, they're probably going to have to shave it off. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I like I, how this, what, this nurse is like, I've never heard of this before. And this doctor's like, yeah, you're going to have to have your eye shaved. It's no big deal. That's exactly I can't read this woman at all. Like I've never been able to, she's also the one who gave me the antihistamines the prescription, but she just doesn't have any kind of what I want from the people, the gatekeepers, she gives me just like absolutely zero emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I told Johnny over text and he goes in an Elaine Bennis voice, shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the eye hospital this morning and it's like my whole life has been admin for shit that I was taking for granted having money in my bank account and having eyeballs that don't have bumps on it and so like you know I had to wait a few hours and and then I, I get to the guy and then he goes don't touch it and I was like I, I thought I was gonna have to shave it off he goes no <laughs> he's like don't touch it it's just irritated it'll go away and he gave me some eye drops he's like like do it twice a day he's like do you have hay fever i was like yeah i've been sneezing a lot and like my like every podcast i do when i'm editing i'm like get your fucking hand off your eyes because i'm always itching and stuff he's like just oh, don't so it was just the like you probably irritated it from um being uh a, having allergic reactions to yeah from like itchy watery eyes i'm always i'm always fucking with my eyes um, and so he was like, so he gave me some eye drops to, uh, stop the itching so that I won't, so that you won't touch your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Go away. Are you okay? What's happening? No, I mean, I still have it. It's still there, but I'm hoping like, cause I, I have that, uh, call back on Friday, but yeah, well, the thing is, is that you can't really see it. It's just, it's just distracting. So like, remember I yeah. talked about my eye twitching and I was like doing these podcasts and it's like, no, I don't think anybody can tell, but like, as I'm talking, my eyes like, gotta get it, gotta get it. <laughs> yeah, gotta get yeah. it. you know what I mean? So like, so like either my, I'm like, <laughs> just like kind of like trying to be like, I hope nobody can tell. But then also it's just literally distracting. Like I literally, I'm trying to focus. It's like yesterday I was doing a show and the, the audience was awesome. And there was this couple talking the whole time right next to the stage. And it's like, I could still perform, but the whole time I'm like cursing at them in my head while doing this show. It's like, yeah, I can still perform, but I'm not at my best because half of me is somewhere else. And yeah. I feel like when you, you know, something's on your eye or whatever, that's, uh, yeah. And yeah. I, I honestly, how sad is it that we prefer probably eye bumps than styes? Cause styes are just like, even if there's nothing bad that's going to happen, there's, they're, so big and distracting. You can't put eyeliner over a sty. No, you can't do anything with a sty. That's true. I would just have to keep like a hot compress on it and hope it just pops itself. <laughs> but yeah, he was like, don't pop it. Don't do anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I'm so, I was so grateful that it was just, there's no surgery, laser shaving of any oh. eyeballs. What I want to ask to that, the eye doctors in what context is that happening? Because this doctor over here was just like, we're going right to eye shaving. And he's like, Hey man, it's gotta be eight times worse to get to eye shaving. We're just, we're, yeah. gonna, just, we're gonna start with rest. You know what he just told you was rest. Yeah. <laughs> you just got the quintessential. You're like, Hey, what's happening? Do I have cancer? And he's like, you just need to rest. Just rest. You're stressed. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the GP, the one, you know, they, they also 
eyes are so scary. Anything on your, like that eyes are, that, that's why, I mean, we did a, a whole thing on laser eye surgery where I was just like, no, it's scary. Like, yeah. <laughs> if anything goes wrong, the thing that I like, was only doing kind of good is gone. No, that's a, that's something I contemplated. I was like, if I do have to have a laser in my eye, I might as well get like laser eye surgery, even though I don't need glasses, but like just to correct everything while I'm doing it, you know, I'm like sitting here going like, if I have to have laser or any sort of like shaving, I just, yeah, that woman shouldn't have used the word shave without even a sense of like, I don't want to scare you. But she was just like, oh yeah, they'll probably just shave it off. I was like, cool. <laughs> Great. Hey, I'm going to go cry. Bye. Uh. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It's been a fucking week, man. It really has. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, it's been, it's, everything has turned out fine, but it's just like, it's just like life hang, hang like just dangling uh, horrible situations over my head. And I'm going, Oh my God. And it's like, just kidding. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying these are, these are practices and you're like i'm not handing the practice well <laughs> like she can't handle shit <laughs> oh my god all right this was this was an intense episode i hope everybody's okay i know because we're gonna be putting the adam google oh yeah adam's google's intense oh man this is we're gonna have a warning that's like hey if you're if you're hanging on by a thread this is not the podcast for you this week <laughs> Don't say thread because Adam's. Oh, ready. yeah. Oh, God. What did he do that? He emphasized it. Like, he went back for it just to bring it out again. Like, he, oh. with a straight face. Like, you know what's what interesting doing. about all of this stuff? Because we do talk about medicine stuff. Like, I am curious. I can't always handle it, but I am curious. Like, I want to know everything about it. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if doctors ever, like, on the inside are just like, oh, my God. God. Yeah, like somebody like somebody shows them something and they're just like they're like, "Oh, okay. let me hold on, let me just write that down." And like with their back turned, they're like, <laughs> they just shudder. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's gonna be hard to forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I'm going to have to text my buddies about this. Guys, guys. Craziness. Let's get personal. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Could we get any more personal? Um, okay. This is a silly one. Um, how aggressive do you go after your dreams from a scale of like, I'll send an email to like, I'm going to camp out outside a producer's home for a week just to fucking hand them a script or bother them. Now, this question is biased towards the people who look, uh, okay. As far as if your dream is in the I'm not creative, saying no. camping outside someone's producer thing is the right motivation. I didn't just, can I just, um, <laughs> people in the creative field, uh, there are like two kinds of people. They're the, the, the people who have like, I'm an artist and I, I have emotional attachment to this and I want it to be perfect and good because it's an expression of me. And then there are the people who go, I need a product to put out there and sell. So some people create comedy as like a, like they've, they've created the whole image. I'm a product. Let's sell me. Fuck it. Let's go. Out. And then there are the artists who are like terrified of like showing who they are. And then like, you know, so if I don't camp outside like an agent's office for six weeks to get them to notice me, it's not because I'm not driven. I think me even getting on stage when I'm terrified of public speaking is almost equivalent to something like that because That's of very, what I very am. Very valid point. Yeah, I agree. Like I just, I went, I, I constantly put myself outside of my comfort zone to p pursue my dream, um, in a, in a, in a big way. And, uh, and I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> you should. So. I mean, I don't, in, in no way am I saying like, these were just kind of like examples. Um, but in no way am I even saying that the camping outside a producer's, uh, office is one, the right thing to do. And shows that you're more passionate or as passionate as somebody else but you know you you are right the fact that we get on stage the fact that we've moved to different places the fact that we take constant risks um putting ourselves out there emotionally creatively you know physically you know i have tons of friends that don't put themselves out there because the internet and producers are mean they they judge your body they judge your face they judge your content they judge you know your background and you're just like hey man i'm just trying to tell cat jokes like why the fuck are you talking about the fact that i need to lose weight or that yeah, I need to did i ever tell you about city? the commercial agent who i i came in with my headshot and she was like 
oh my god like she was just like you well you look good here like referring to my picture and like I think she was referring to my acne scars and stuff and she was just like wow that uh she's like I you look you look you look really good here no I bald for a week and like I just was like I you know because I you know it's just like um commercials you have to be fucking picture perfect like if you are famous and you're doing a movie they'll work around you they'll hire other actors who make you look tall or they'll have a filter i don't know what they can do with after effects and stuff but commercials they're not going to put that kind of money into making you look better so it's like you just have to come perfect and so like pretty perfect yeah yeah so uh you know I mean, because it's interesting to me, like I was talking, I think this question sparked out of the fact that I did, um, I did a weekend in Minneapolis and I was with two young comics. I think they were both like 24 years old, the host and the feature, both super funny, really nice guy. Like I genuinely loved their comedy and just hanging out with them in the green room. They were so fun and sweet and just wonderful. And um, Ahmed, who is opening for me afterwards, so they record, they have three camp. It, it's a dream club. Like, first of all, Acme is one of the best clubs in the country. And I, I, I think they understood that just in general, Minneapolis, I think has a really good comedy community. Cause I asked them, I was like, how often can you go up? They're like, oh, you can get up every night, a couple times a night, even how James, the host became a, a host and Ahmed becoming a feature. Like I was like, this is a dream scenario to get in this process. Like I kind of was like, oh my God, I wish I started here. Um, and they're both very funny. I'm not saying like, you don't have to be funny to get where they are, but um, they have three cameras recording your set all you have to do is tell them like hey can you record my set and then they give you your set so I knew that my my agent had told me so I asked them before the weekend I was like can you record every set and then um, I brought my my drive and so I'm sitting there after the show and I hand it to the guy to put my set on there and um, uh, James was driving me to my hotel he's like it'll just take a couple more minutes and I go Ahmed are you getting your set he's like nah and he had crushed it he had done amazing I was like what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. I go, Ahmed, I literally was like, this is like a tall black kid. I was like, sit down, sit down. (laughs) I literally, he was like, he was so, he was such a cute man. He's like, okay. I was like, get the set. You always get the set. What are we doing here? What are you doing? What are you, even if you never watch it, even if you never do anything with it, fucking get the set. You have a literally almost like a professional set. You could show this to get more time. You could cut this up and put this online. You don't know in two years, somebody might be like, what jokes do you, cause he's a, he's um Muslim. He's from uh, Somalia. I was like, somebody might be like, do you have any jokes about being Muslim? We're looking specifically for a Muslim comedian. We're specifically looking for somebody talks, talking about police brutality or black lives matter. And you don't have anything to show for it. And you miss an opportunity when it could have just fucking been on your hard drive. I was like, you always get the set. And he's like, okay. And so he goes up to the he's guy. He's so he goes, lucky, yeah. He's like, can I have the set? And the guy goes, good, Ahmed. Like the guy's like, you should. Yeah. And he goes, can mm-hmm. I have past sets? He's like, no, we only keep it for a week. And I go, that's the lesson. Every week you take the set. I don't care if you don't know what to do with it yet, but you need to take the set. Like you need to have a tape of it. You need to be responsible for the business side of stuff and where it can go, even if you don't know what you're going to do with it. And I think it went like the fact that he took it and maybe he won't ever take it again or whatever. And I, I, I don't know where that business sense comes from. Your dad. I've, it, I mean, sure. But <laughs> I mean, like, that's an obvious one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It absolutely comes from my dad, but like knowing what I need and what to do with it is so different. You know, my dad being a veterinarian, my dad owning a business is very different from being an artist, from being a freelancer, from being somebody that has to book themselves. Like, it's so different that like, they're like, we couldn't take a business class right now and have it even remotely come close to what it takes to survive as a creative, as a, as a, um, a comedian, as podcast, whatever it is. And this stuff changes so rapidly. So it's like, it doesn't parallel, but like there clearly is something inside of me that's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I need to try it. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I need to do it. And it has been interesting to see the path of different comedians that are funnier than I am, smarter than I am, more connected than I am, more um, uh, accepted by the community and the industry than I am, and me go past them because of the drive to always figure out how to get my stuff in front of people, but then also to learn over time and to continue to learn how to um, 
just be not available, but just always be ready. Yeah. And so I wouldn't even say that like, I'm aggressive as much as I am always ready. Like I've always been like, I'm never, and maybe that's because at some point I felt like I wasn't ready, whether it was my fault or not, but I was like, I'm never not going to be ready again. You, you, you were, um, I was coaching somebody and I, I said the whole thing about the artist and the business person, as far as like in comedy. And I was, I was saying how you're the perfect mix of both. Cause like you have to wear all the hats when you're starting out, you have to be your own marketer. You have to be your own PR. You have to be your own, you have to shout your name from the rooftops and be funny and write and perform and book yourself and do your own money and time, you know, it's all there. But like, um, I think people think like, I'll do the jokes, then someone will see, then it'll sort of, whether they actually think that or not, it's sort of subconsciously, like I'm already doing so much by writing the jokes and performing them and putting myself out there that they don't even think like, now I have to put it in people's faces. So like for, for the guy to like, not think, oh, that set will be useful in cutting it up and putting it in social media or sending to a booker or sending to a late night thing. Um, makes sense to me I just it's just it's like people don't realize they have to do everything but anyway we've got so far and, off the yeah, <laughs> yeah and you don't and you don't get in like I didn't get into comedy to fucking learn social media or do the business I don't want to be doing this I'm actually pretty good at it and I I learned to appreciate the creative side of business and I like creative business but at the end of the day if I like and more and more people are helping me in these avenues. But if I could just hire somebody to do everything other than write and, and perform, I, I would. But as we've talked about, you can't, you just can't. You, you yeah. have to do everything for a lot longer than you think. Yeah. But um, topic? Topic. <laughs> it's, I get so crazy. Um, okay. No, it's so, great. It's, and it's people that, that kid was lucky you were there to be like, Hey motherfucker, get your set. <laughs> yeah. Because there were, and, and the other, and the, the host already did that, but they were both so funny. And I don't think they realize what a gold mine they are that they can get their set every time they perform. And who knows how often they're going to perform there. Cause they both said that was both their second time yeah. working that club. Half, so, of, half of the stuff like most of my material that I have now is only because the top secret records you, whether you ask or not, (laughs) and then you can ask for it later. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blessing. I, I, they have no idea. Um, okay. Topic is Mm -hmm. disassociation. And if you've been listening to all our podcasts, we kind of, we brought it up a couple of times, but I think we brought it up the most during our triggers episode. I forget what we called that episode, Uh, but um, yeah, I think it was, um, somewhere in the summer we we did triggers but that's where we kind of brought up disassociation um if you don't um okay so here if if you disassociate you may feel disconnected from yourself in the world around you so you may feel like detached from your own body or feel as though the world is kind of just around you and it's kind of unreal i'll go through like deeper symptoms and stuff but like i know for me I easily can disassociate like as a choice. Like I know how to shut down. I've always called it shutting down. I just know how to shut down and pull away. But I lived in a disassociated state most of my life. Mm. Like to the point where like learning more about it for this made me understand that like, so what they say is, um, uh, okay, so the experience itself can last a short amount of time. So like hours to days or for a longer amount of time, which can be weeks to months. And if you disassociate for a long time, especially when you're younger, you may develop disassociated, disassociate, disassociative disorder. And then again, there's like different versions of it that I'll go into, but I was like, oh shit. Like it was like, well, yeah. So this is an interesting one because I never remember anything from um, childhood, high school. Like people always like, do you remember so-and-so from high school? I'm like, I don't like, I, I, I have really poor memories that I, I, I think it was disassociation. I've always sort of been sort of out of it anyway, because I grew up, people were speaking Arabic around me. I can't understand Arabic. Therefore I'm in my own head. I just kind of disconnect. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much of that, like the, the, I guess what I'm asking is like the spectrum of disassociation because at the, at the extreme end on the other side is multiple personality disorder, which they call something else now. Um, yeah. because you're, you're disassociating so much that like you're, you're a different person. Mm. Um, and I think like before that, I think like the way it was being described, it was almost like comatose. It's almost like you're just, you're out of your body, but you're still there. Like if you're imprisoned or if you're, yeah. 
So um, it's, it's, a, it's a survival technique. It's a way to kind of go into autopilot, continue to do what you're doing, but not be triggered or feel anything um, because it's too, it's, it's too shocking to your, you're too stressed out. You're too overwhelmed. So they actually say zoning out. Like, you know, when you're bored in school or like you said, with your, your family speaking Arabic around you, a, zoning out is a form of being disassociative, but it's the very, you know what I mean? It's, that's it's, what I was, so that's what I was trying to get the point I was trying to make is I zone out all the time. I'm always zoned out. So like, like half the time you talk to me, I have to come back and go like, go back through and oh, oh, good. Um, not just you, literally everyone, like my friends used to have a running joke where they'd say my name every three seconds, blah, 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 blah Maria, blah, 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 blah. So because I would zone out and, but that's like the mild end. Yes. And extremely then, mild. And that can be both just from uh, being stressed and overwhelmed or, or bored in school or, or, bored at work, whatever. So that's, that's one side of it. And then somewhere in the middle is this like being triggered by a situation, being stressed, and then you're just kind of going through the motions and it's for hours and days and weeks at a time. And then it's the disassociative um, uh, disorder where you're constantly in that state because you, to get out of it is too scary. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's become a, a mental disorder. Yes. Um, I, I remember somewhere in the middle to mild, I remember when I snuck out at like 3 a.m. and the cops brought me back and they were like, bring, like, wake your parents up because we want to present like their daughter who was out and we yeah. brought her home. And I was like, I have two options. I could tell them I live in the court behind my street and then run to my house <laughs> without them knowing which will be worse for me later. Or um, I disassociated. Like it was the first time I remember going, my body, my soul was just like, have fun. <laughs> and then just. <laughs> um, we're, you know what it feels like, especially because this is uh, learning about this made me understand also why I don't have all, many memories. It feels like someone turned off the recorder. Like it really <laughs> feels like, like, you know, when cops turn off their, their, their body cams and you'll just never yeah. know what happened. It just feels like I'm turning off my body cam. And then somebody would be like, oh my God, remember when Liz was crazy and she did all this stuff in middle school? And you're like, Ooh, I, no. I just have to trust you. I don't, I wasn't yeah. there. I wasn't there. I was physically there, but I wasn't, I wasn't there. Yeah. So why did you, why? So I, I think my whole childhood, I was extremely scared and overwhelmed. Like it was just not uh, a safe place for me. And I, I, like I said, I don't have a lot of strong memories. I have some scary memories from my childhood. And what's funny about it, when you first start going to therapy, you feel guilt. You're like, these things happened, or I think they happened. And even if it doesn't sound that bad, it was bad for me. I was five, I was seven, I was nine, I was 10, I was 14. Like they, they felt bad. And you have to always remember that you're remembering it as an adult. So as an adult, if, you know, if someone... I don't know, slaps you, is that a big deal? Who knows? But if you're six and a, an adult slaps you and they've never done that before, it is a big deal. You're six. You didn't know to expect it. You never thought that person would do that to you. You don't know why it happens sometimes. So I always have to remember that like who I was as a kid didn't understand what was happening and it was scary as opposed to as an adult I understand why my mom or dad would have done that. And maybe that wasn't the best way of handling it, but it's, it's fine. But I'm, you're still not processing it as an adult. There's still like a kid inside of you. That's like, that was scary. So there was just a lot of, you know, scariness as a kid. And I remember some of them because some of what they talk about when it comes to like stresses and triggers is that you don't remember them and only through therapy do they come back. I, I know of some of them and the way memory works is like, if you keep playing them over and over again, they get more solidified in your brain. So there's some scary stuff that happens that I still remember over and over again, but there's some, like Emily told me a couple of stories about my mom that I was like, I don't remember that. She was like, oh, it was one of the scariest things that's ever happened. And I think about you sometimes and how you handled it. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. Um, so, so, so clearly I remember some scary moments, but I can't even, I have to just believe my older sister, my younger sister about it. I mean, my mom almost, my mom like pretty much tried to attack my brothers when they were younger. And like me and my older sister went in front of them and like shielded them with our bodies. And I like, 
that I'll forever remember is like not knowing one being like, why the fuck is my mom going after my baby brothers? But also like, oh, I have to put my body in front. Like, and it, to be honest, not the scariest thing my mom's ever done, but it was one of the first times that I was like, oh, I'm the mom now. Like yeah. I'm the mom now. And it was like, just terrifying. And I think for me, because I was scared most of the time and I didn't know how my mom was going to react. I didn't know how my dad was going to react. They were pleasant at certain, my mom wasn't pleasant until my twenties, but (laughs) my dad had moments when he was pleasant. And I just, it was so erratic that it stresses out your brain. If every time I went to you, you were consistent, which is pretty much who you are, then I can relax. Not saying you don't have bad days, but I can relax. But if I don't know if you're going to yell at me or be in a good mood or whatever, you're always just kind of on edge. Even if the result is a good day and a good experience, I'm still on edge because I don't know what version I'm going to get. That's exactly how I feel about a friend of mine because like she's so um, um, volatile. So it's always like, I don't know, like she can just change like that good mood to bad mood or whatever. So even when she's in a good mood, I I don't trust it anymore. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just like, so you're always on edge, even <laughs> yeah. though they'll be like, she seems lovely. And you're like, get yeah, today, today, today <laughs> right now. So I think I was at such maximum stress because I didn't know what was going to happen day to day. I remember in high school. So like I've talked about, there's a lot of mental illness in my family, a lot of suicide, a lot of suicide threats. So I would come home and it would be really quiet. And I remember being like, God, I hope I don't find a body. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just wow. had a shitty day at school where I fucking can't learn and I hate my life. And I'm like, I was a zombie in school. I, and I did pretty decent in school, but I just figured out how to get through school. Didn't learn anything. And I was a fucking zombie. I actually became like a real like bookworm. And I would read my own books in class as a way of coping. And I would get in trouble all the time where like I would have my science book open and in between my science book was like a novel and I'd be reading it and I would get in trouble. But like I had to, I could not be present because, and I would cry in class all the time. I was severely depressed in high school, but I would come home after just being in this like kind of just shut down space. And then I would be scared. And I didn't know if I was going to get the depressed version of my mom or the angry version of my mom. And those were your choices when it came to my mom. So, and then I was constantly cleaning and watching my brothers and doing whatever I could to make sure that my mom was a lesser version of whatever version she was going to be that day. So I know from however young I was to high school, I had to be shut down because it was too much. And I just, that's how I got into pot. That's how I, um, and like to the point where I, I've always wanted to sit down my, the two girlfriends that I'm still friends with and be like, I remember crying a lot. I remember like being really reserved and shy. Like, I don't, I wonder, and like, you know, I got into comedy when I was 16. Like, when did I express myself? When did I show this version of me to you? Because I was so scared to be myself and to be present. And there's a lot of like, my girlfriends have told me about like funny stories of things that I've done and and experiences we've had. And I don't remember them. I've seen pictures, but I don't, remember them. And then going further into college, you know, it wasn't as scary because I'm away from my family now, but I was trained to be this way. I was trained to just stay this way. And it wasn't until my late twenties that I even realized I've been shut down most of my life. And now not being shut down, not being disassociated, what happens. And I remember saying this to my ex, like he would say something that really upset me and I would shut down. And I would tell him, I was like, Hey, I'm shutting down. And I was like, it's not personal. I just can't handle it. And I was like, I just need some time. And so I, I, I have awareness of it now. And I see my habits of what I do when I am shut down and it's, they're more, they're briefer. They're, they're more like hours and days as opposed to weeks and months and clearly years, but it is much easier for me to go into it. I know how to automatically go into it because it's a coping mechanism. And then I also understand probably from this last relationship, the dangers of, of using it as a coping mechanism because you basically push people away or you're not emotionally present. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I don't think I experienced anything like I didn't, did you really think that you could find, find a body when you got home? Like, was that a real fear? Yeah. So yeah, I didn't experience anything that extreme. Like, I mean, 
you know, I never knew what mood my dad would be in. I could almost guarantee a bad mood when he got home from work, but not, (laughs) not murderous, you know, but like my parents fought all the time and they like, they cannot talk to each other. They can't just have a conversation. It was either yelling between the two of them uh, or we're all watching Seinfeld and happy. And that's why I'll always love Seinfeld because it's the only thing (laughs) that we can all agree to like watch and not fight. But that's why I think I'm uh, attracted to comedy. Like I would, I would watch the only time I really felt safe and felt happy was watching comedy, whether it's watching SNL, um, uh, you know, watching um, stand up clips, like, you know, stand up shows like Sinbad and Paula Poundstone and, you know, uh, um, George Carlin, like whatever I was watching when I was uh, a teenager. And then I would quote it at dinner and I would make my parents laugh. And that's like, to make ah, my parents powerful. laugh. Yes. So powerful, especially when you don't know what reaction you're going to get. They're often not friendly or stressed or also not present. Who knows how much my mom was probably disassociated in all of that. And my dad, like I'm starting to learn more and more that like my dad is a busybody and he gets stuff done, but he's, he's not there. Like not in a, like a yeah. mean way. I, again, I don't blame my parents for anything, anything my parents have done. I do not, I do, I don't think they're bad people. I, I, they had a crap childhood. They never dealt with it. And then this is what they did this. You know what I mean? Like these are actions, but they're not, I think of some of the scary stuff my mom has done. And clearly as a kid, I, I, I hated her, but as an adult, I think my poor mother, my yeah. poor mother has had such a difficult life and has had zero guidance and what she has accomplished is incredible. And the fact that she is where she is, my mom's so much happier. She's just, she's friendlier. She has friends. She, I, I look forward to talking to my mother, seeing my mother, like she's an incredible person, but she was given the shit show and she was put in a situation she could have not survived in any other way than the way she did it. And I, I have, zero resentment towards her but that being said I do have residual damage because of it and I think those are two different things and so I think this association is you know they pretty much say it's an it's an um especially when you're younger you don't choose it it's it literally your body goes hey you can't handle this <laughs> like your body's like sorry so sorry so sorry like we, you know how like that's that silly quote like life doesn't give you more than you can handle it's like, yeah, it, it does though. Like I have an old joke that's like, it does, that's, that's suicide. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it does. So basically life gives you more than you can handle. And then your body goes, Ooh, you're seven. Like, so sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> You shouldn't be here for this. So we're going to fucking, we're going to make you half here. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for it because who knows if I would have been able to survive without this disorder, I guess. But then also as you get older, like the example I always give is like, okay, you learn this survival skill as a kid, you know, you don't have a furnace, so you have to cut wood. So you cut wood every day to stay warm, but then you go off, you're out of the situation. You now have a furnace and you're still cutting wood. So I was still disassociating as a survival technique when I didn't even need it. Like I just assumed the whole world was scary when really it was just my home life was scary. And so it's taken me so long to actually live my life and find out who I am as a person, um, appreciate myself as a person, and also take emotional risks because I was so scared of if I was myself, how were people would react because it was never a good reaction when, when I was When you younger. say you were shutting, like when you told your boyfriend you were shutting down, what does that feel like to you? What, is it, what does he see? What does it feel like to you? Um, I'm, I'm less responsive. So like, you know how I tell stories, I'm gesticulating, I'm fucking ranting and da, 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 da. So it would, it would be like, how are you doing? I'm fine. Did you do anything today? Yeah. You know, I, I, I did my podcast with Maria and, um, yeah, I, um, I did a zoom show. It was pretty good. Like, I'm just kind of this muted, You're just version. not being rude. <laughs> I'm, I'm being protective and I, and I don't realize that I'm doing it. I don't realize that I'm a muted version of myself for the most part, but I will physically and emotionally pull away. And I'll just be like a ghost version. So even if we were cuddling, I was still like, you can almost just feel it. Like the person's not present. They're going through the motions. Can you control it? Or is it just, do you go, oh shit, I've, I've shut down and I don't know how to reconnect again. 
more now than I used to. So now I can identify that I'm shutting down. I would say like 80% of the time. And then when I can identify it, I'm able to either, like if I start expressing on myself, if I say like, hey, you said this, it really upset me and I'm having trouble like being present with you and we talk it out, like that can bring me out of it. Um, uh, sometimes just kind of letting it pass and like doing, like sometimes I will, you know, your Seinfeld is my 30 rock. Like I'll just put on 30 rock and just kind of get myself like comfortable and like laughing. That's when like I use food as a comfort. Like I just need to like feel safe and I'll just like, kind of like, we're gonna have some ice cream. We're gonna watch a movie. <laughs> like, you know, like just let's, let's get comfortable. And I'll just kind of make myself comfortable so that I can journal, so that I can have a good night's rest. Like sometimes it just takes taking yourself out of the situation, but then also acknowledging I am triggered. I am upset. I am, I am, I'm not fully myself. But like, I remember after my breakup, you know, like my first real relationship, this is over 12 years ago, I went through this breakup I mean, it was a mixture of depression and disassociation. Like I was not there. I just wasn't, I couldn't tell you. I know I did a lot of stand up because that was my coping mechanism, but I cannot tell you anything that happened in those two years. Cause I just know that like when you have a partner who shuts down, like, I, like Johnny's shut down, he's aware, of, he's, he's aware. He's like, I, but he, um, I feel like he can't, he can't lost connection it. with me and like, doesn't know how to get it back. And that's what's hard to figure out how to move through yeah of course and I think I was exactly that and I actually think that's why I connected with men more when I was younger because I was the same way I know how to shut down I know how to go through the motions I know how to not press my own buttons and other people's buttons but then also I would have these emotional explosions where like after like three months of just being shut down you know something very minor would happen and I'm like a crazy person and I'm now watching myself shout at people and I don't even know why or understand it but now being able to express myself pulls me out of it. Oh, you have Sorry. a memory. No, just, just you on stage at any given moment. <laughs> you telling off the people of Manchester. You telling off the people of Copenhagen. You telling off the people <laughs> of Los Angeles. You... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> okay, I want to, just before we get out of here, I just want to like um, give just some basis because there's different types of associations. Okay, so it's a natural response to trauma that you can't control. Could um, could be to a, like a one-off traumatic event or like an ongoing trauma. Some choose to disassociate as a way of calming down or focusing on a task or as part of a religious or cultural ritual. So there are like, that which is what I find interesting. And that kind of shows like the more zoning outside of it where you're like, I choose to just kind of like be just like not be there for this thing. Yeah. Um, might be a symptom of a mental health problem. So like this also is associated with PTSD, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. Um, and it can also be a side effect of alcohol or um, going on meds or coming off meds. So it's, it's, there's a kind of mix of how this all happens. So uh, if you experience gaps of memory, uh, gaps in your life where you can't remember anything that happened, not being able to rem remember info about yourself or the things that happened to you, this is called disassociative amnesia. Then traveling to a different location and taking on a new identity for a short time without remembering your, your real identity is disassociative fugue, okay, okay. F-U-G-U-E, I don't even know. Fuge? Fuge. So disassoci disassociative fuge. It seems like fugitive or something. But Yeah, actually that wouldn't make kind of sense if you think about it. Like when he, I was reading that, I was like, ooh, some Jason Bourne shit. I like it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, okay, if you feel like the world around you is unreal, um, you see objects changing shape, size, color, see the world as lifeless or foggy, feel as if people are robots, even though you know they're not, that's a uh, derealization. I've definitely gone through that. Like that, I remember fully in college, just not being there. Like just, I remember being in a class, a writing class when I was like a freshman or sophomore in college and people had to read your writing. And I got like a really nice response or whatever. And this, this guy goes, you don't seem happy. And I was like, oh, I don't have a lot of emotions. That's what I responded to a person. And yeah. that's like not true. I was like crying all the time or whatever, but like good or bad, I just, I didn't express, I couldn't, I couldn't really feel it. Like it was just, it was so weird. But I remember saying that to a kid in my class. I was, he was like, you don't seem happy. And I was like, oh, I don't really feel things. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Yeah. But I was, I was in like a fog most of 
college. Uh, feel like you're watching yourself in a film or from the outside. Feel like you're just um, observing your emotions. I've definitely gone through that. Feel disconnected from parts of your body or your emotions. Feel like you're floating away, unsure of boundaries between yourself and other people. And that's called depers depersonalization. Feel your identity shift or change. Speak in a different voice or voices. Use different um, name or names. Switch between different parts of your personality. Feel as if you're losing control to someone else to uh, someone else and then experience different parts of your personality at different times and acts like different people, including children. And that's identity alteration. So these are like all a bunch of different types of disassociation that I think I've definitely felt a couple different ones that identity stuff, not so much. Like I've never not known my identity or switched my identity or anything like that. Like to me, that feels like a much further spectrum um, while I've always felt somewhere in the middle, but you know, there's tons of treatments. There's talking therapy. I think that has done so much for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be present if it wasn't for therapy. I, I would still be in this disassociated state. I wouldn't even know what it is. Um, I, the other one is EMDR. Have you, have we talked about this? I just learned about this from a friend. No. It's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. I feel like we should do something more with it. But like my friend was describing it, it had to do with like eye movements. You would like pick a trauma or something and you, these eye movements, it would help you re-trigger the memories in a safe way and then reprocess them. I don't know. My friend was telling me about it and I was like, I've never heard of this. And I'm both like skeptical and excited about it. But, yeah. EM, but for, for disassociation, EMDR is a, a method. And then there's meds like antidepressants, antipsychotics, and mood stabilizers. So there, there are definitely treatments. And I can absolutely say that as somebody that felt disassociated, most of their life didn't even know what it was probably until after the fact, until I was in my thirties, that that's, it was just a game of a name to something that I was like, oh, like I, oh. Cause I wasn't always just depressed. I was sometimes just, just not there. Yeah. It was, it was different. And I was going, you know, I, I built a whole career during that phase. I did a bunch of stuff that, but like now I can enjoy stand up as before it was like just a task. And I would have moments where I was glad I was doing it, but I, I feel a full range of emotions that I didn't feel most of my life. Well, good. You're like, I, I was zoned no, out this entire time. <laughs> I have no memory of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we would love to hear if, um, if you've learned something from this, um, if you have gone through disassociative uh, episodes, um, if we missed anything, uh, but you can write to us at two non-doctors, that's two non-forward-doctors at gmail.com, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Everybody knows we don't get paid anything.